What is crackalackin' fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with an ambitious podcast crossover and a familiar one. I am joined by hosts of the Timeline Podcast, Mike Vigil and Sam Cooper. Guys, how the heck are you doing? I'll, wait, let me try and direct this like a real host, sh- host should. Sam, how the heck are you? Doing pretty well, Dan. Thank you for uh, bringing us back on. Mike, how are you doing? And this is my voice, too. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be that... here. It doesn't feel like the season has begun until we do this. I talk about that every year. We got to do it at least twice a year, I feel like. Uh, I, yeah, I try not to pester people more than twice a year, and I was like going to be down to one this year, but something kind of happened with Phoenix that made me feel compelled to uh, to talk to you guys. I just hope that it's probably been really boring not being able to talk about anything with regards to this team this season. There's just nothing ever going on. <laughs> um, let's start though with the Kevin Durant trade. He's now a member of the. Well, actually, first was Josh Okogi snubbed from the three point competition. I think you need to. <laughs> I mean, they let Julius Randle in there, and I don't know. <laughs> if you ask the Suns, it was Damian Lee that was snubbed, but he hasn't been shooting very well lately either. Josh Okogie has overtaken him if you just look at the last few weeks of stats alone. Yeah, what is I, – I mean, that's a real question. Like, is this for real from Josh Okogie on offense? It's just like Josh Okogie just all of a sudden – you know, and he's had like some three of six nights too. It's not just like, oh, one of two, one of yeah. one. Like, he's had some three of six nights sprinkled in. He had six I'm, threes the other night, six six in one game. I'm not a shot doctor, so like I tend to hesitate when we talk about like, oh, this stretch of twenty threes attempted. Is this real? Is this not real? I don't I don't think he's gonna shoot fifty percent the rest of the season, but I will just say if Josh Akoki can shoot thirty five to forty percent the rest of the season, uh, he could have a really kick ass last twenty games of the year and maybe even a playoff run. And uh, I think other teams, by the way, should be taking note because he's on a minimum contract. He's going to be yeah. a free agent. The Suns don't have his bird rights. Uh, so people should be watching Josh Okogie, I think, for for sure. He's He's been playing awesome recently. He has the luxury of shooting the most wide-open three-point attempts I've ever seen in my life, Except which is good for him. If people follow you on TikTok, Mike, they'll know that you did a breakdown earlier in the season of all his missed threes until <laughs> yeah. the first one, where it was like this off-the-dribble sidestep three. Yeah. Whatever it was, and that was the one that he hit. After missing, I believe, 17 in a row, then he made that one. <laughs> and they were all, like, ultra-wide open, the ones yep. that he were missing. There was, like, yep. he could have gotten a cup of coffee before he got the shot off. I hope it's real, Dan. I hope it's real. Well, I would hope that. If you hoped it wasn't real, I'd question your motives for what you want from the Suns <laughs> the rest of this season. Uh, so, I was listening to a podcast you guys did before, or it was after the trade, but Sam had said that he had believed there was, like, a 1% chance this Kevin Durant trade would happen during the season, how surprised post Kyrie Irving trade were you that this deal actually went down in the middle of this year? I, I guess you called me out, so I'll field that one first. I mean, <laughs> I was uh, I was ninety nine percent surprised, right? Because I really didn't think it was mostly. I think the big thing is I I didn't think KD had the balls to do it. I guess when a lot of the reporting came out that actually yes he was adamant about these trade demands behind the scenes not going about his business particularly in the same way that Kyrie does but I thought that maybe he was just going to be fooled into believing that this Nets team post Kyrie could be you know with him as the offensive engine like a player in the Eastern Conference and like I always believed that that he wanted to be in Phoenix because he said as much but I didn't know that he was really going to force his way out as soon as this trade deadline so yeah I'm, I'm not going to lie 
my eyes were set on like, you know, we were, Mike and I were talking about John Collins. We were talking about OG Ananobi. We were talking about all these other guys. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Like we did not think that KD was coming per se. That doesn't mean it was impossible, but yeah, we were surprised. I think there was some like Kevin Durant PTSD mixed in there from the summer, especially because if you look at the way the offseason went for the Suns, they got smacked against the Dallas Mavericks in game seven, and then they did nothing <laughs> except allow Jay Crowder to sit at home in the offseason because, <laughs> because they spent two months trying to figure out a Kevin Durant trade, right? So the entire offseason stalled for two months while Sam and I basically did two months of podcasts about the idea of Kevin Durant on the Suns in the offseason. So by the time the trade de- deadline came around, it was like, oh, this again? Like, are yeah. we going to get the rug pulled out of under us <laughs> again? But then, you know, I-, I will say, like, it felt, even leading up to it, I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like something weird is happening. As soon as Kyrie asked out, it felt like, okay, maybe, why would Kevin Durant want to be there still? You know, regardless of, I think they're actually going to be kind of good, the Nets. But, you know, it did kind of feel like something real was happening, and apparently it was. I thought I was being so, I don't even know what I thought I was being, maybe edgy or just smart by when I did my trade deadline prediction piece for every team saying the Suns wouldn't trade any first round equity because they were going to acquire Kevin Durant over the off season. And so it was like one of those situations where I was like, I wasn't wrong, but I wasn't even close to being right because I would have given it. Sam said he was 99% surprised. I was a hundred percent surprised. <laughs> I guess it helped that the two teams had negotiations over the off season. So there was a baseline working off of, but I honestly didn't think that they would get rid of KD this year. And I thought like him being out with an MCL sprain until the end of February, beginning of March would have like, you know, maybe prohibited teams from going all in, but the Suns did not. And that is like, that is the fascinating question to me is the price was steep. And I want to make it clear. You do this trade 11 times out of 10, but the Suns based on the reporting effectively caved to everything the Nets asked for. And then after they caved, the Nets asked for something else in Jay Crowder and they threw in Jay Crowder who wasn't playing for them, but you could have gotten five second round picks on your own accord. Had you moved him elsewhere? So what did you sort of make of the opportunity cost? Is this just still a no, like you're not even thinking about it or, or, you know, Mike, do you wish that the Suns might've at least negotiated a little bit? Maybe there was a little Matt Ishbia, new owner syndrome, wanting to make a splash at play here. Even though I had like a feeling that something was coming with Kevin Durant, I think I spent the last month and a half or so before the trade deadline trying to convince myself we could do it without sending Mikel Bridges, because well, as I'm much as the, that road, yeah, as much as the the picks do kind of hurt and the overall cost, you know, he was different the last month or so before you know month and a half before the trade deadline. Mikel Bridges was turning into. I mean, he had 45 points after he was traded and you can kind of see how he was putting it all together. And, you know, I think for the Suns, they were probably, and I think just based on what we've learned since then, they were probably trying to do it with DeAndre instead of Mikael Bridges, some combination of DeAndre and Cam Johnson. And the Nets just said no. (laughs) And yeah, I I think, you know, Matt Ishbia coming through and by the time they were like already agreed to it and they said, oh, now we want Jay Crowder instead of Dario Saric or whatever. I don't think you could stop an owner at that point because he's already seeing the 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 checks printed for the Kevin Durant jerseys and the and the playoff tickets with Kevin Durant on them. So, you know, I I do think the the owner wasn't going to let that stop at that point. It, it, they definitely 
won that part of the negotiation, I would say. Yeah, you can't stop the owner at that point, nor should you. Uh, you yeah. Know, just, again, underscoring the idea that Mikhail Bridges was the sticking point in negotiations over the summer. It, it feels like that's why. Talk stalled for two months, but Mikhail Bridges had a great season. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. I love watching Brooklyn Nets games now. Like the 45-point game was great and everything. But as you said at the beginning, Dan, that doesn't kill your negotiations here. It's just no cost was too high for making this trade right now. You it, have to do it. It would have been different for me if it seemed like the Nets had any interest in DeAndre Ayton. But between Nick Claxton's breakout, who was, by the way, to me, was better than DeAndre Ayton for most of this season. Um, mm -hmm. And then just having Ben Simmons, who is a net zero at this point, which is just, I'm not even making fun of him. It's just sad. Uh, yeah. The fact that they just weren't interested in Aiton at all, your only pathway was, okay, well, it's Bridges and a bunch of picks. And if, if they're going to ask for Jay Crowder, like you can't let Jay Crowder be the reason you didn't let Kevin Durant. And so the opportunity cost was steep, but I'm like very much when you have the window, the Suns do, I will be team fuck the picks. Like I don't like to oversimplify things, but I'm, I'm team fuck the picks. And especially fuck the picks. Have, yeah. Devin Booker is also young enough to where, you know, even if something happens with KD, CP3, you fall off, like you change up stuff there. Him and Aiton are both young enough that like, this is still a team that can, you know, rejigger on the fly without ab absolutely sucking to where those picks are so good. And I do think there's, this is a separate conversation to have, but like we need to see what kind of happens with all these distant first round picks from other trades before we go bemoaning teams, giving them up. Like we don't know what these distant Lakers first or Clippers first or Nets first to Houston are actually going to look like, like, yeah, maybe one team like the jazz or something from Cleveland or Minnesota ends up with a really high draft pick, but there's just a chance that they're so far off into the distance. You actually give teams time to figure shit out if they're yeah. getting stuff wrong earlier and you're seeing title windows close. And so I do think we might've veered too far into thinking like, Oh, these distant first round picks are so valuable. And when I mean, it's Kevin it, Durant, it's just, it's simpler, but that's where I'm at with it. Look for Brooklyn. It's cool that they're, totally unprotected right you know 2027 2029 who knows where the suns are but also the last two first round picks for james jones were one was traded for landry shamit and the other one was jalen smith picked over tyrese halliburton Devin vassell and a you know slew of other guys so he has not shown himself to be a rebuilding or even retooling through the draft gm he's a yeah. win now gm <laughs> and it, you know, I mean, he's it was, he's said as much too. Like he's actually said that I'm not interested. He said, in that. I want to win. He said that he's not sure he would have drafted Devin Booker had he been GM at the time. He probably would have taken Frank Kaminsky or some win now yeah. senior out of <laughs> because Booker was Honestly, 18. Was yeah, <laughs> yeah, because Booker was 18. That's just who he is, and it makes you question. Obviously, you know when the Suns eventually arrive at a point where they need to rebuild again. Uh, for that reason, we have all sorts of questions about James Jones. But right now, they're in a position to win. And trading for Kevin Durant was the best way to ensure that. Yep. Yeah, it's funny that he's so win now, but he seems so risk averse when it comes to bigger trades until until this point. And I do wonder if, if Matt Ishbia wasn't sort of running the show. Like, do you guys think James Jones still would have done this and caved to every demand? No, no. I kind of think, think he's so. too stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I think he really. If I had to guess the players he wanted to keep together for the rest of their careers, it would be Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. I think they complement each other so well. And Mikael Bridges makes up for a lot of what Devin Booker is not great at. And, uh, you know, I, I I mean, they tried to trade DeAndre in for Sabonis. That that was reported before his contract. You know, the negotiations for his contract, regardless of who it was, Sarver or James Jones, were not exactly clean negotiations for DeAndre. And, and then they tried to trade DeAndre in an assigning trade for Kevin Durant in the summer. And then again, 
they tried to trade DeAndre and for Kevin Durant at the trade deadline. I think we, if we had to guess, I would say that most likely he wouldn't have done it. And eventually he would have traded DeAndre and maybe in the summer for something else to tr- try and improve the team around Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. I think, you know, obviously he did it and he deserves some credit for doing it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that, well, the other part of it, it should be said, it's costing the Suns a lot of actual money right. to have Kevin Durant. So you kind of need an owner to say, yes, do this, because I'm going to pay $40 million more in luxury tax to have Kevin Durant on the team. So you kind of need the owner and, and his buy-in as well. I will say, this is only tangentially related. I was surprised at how emotional I was that Mikel Bridges was leaving the Suns. And I think it's because <laughs> there's, there's teams like OKC and then Denver where I've maybe been higher on than consensus or out in front of when people think that they suck. And then their fan bases are super nice to me. And I was in a honeymoon phase until this year, I think, with Suns fans. But also just having watched, like, it's so rare to see a core together for so long. Like, just the idea of Cam Johnson, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton, and some of, like, the the viral videos that have come out of him just having fun. Like, when I saw that he was leaving Phoenix, I was like, I mean, you make the trade. But I was like, I was more bummed as someone who's supposed to be this, like, impartial national observer. I was like, oh, wow, this is affecting me more than I thought that it would. Nets um, fans will will fall in love with him immediately, though. I mean, he's just one. Of they already guys. are. Wherever yeah, are. he goes, he will be a fan favorite, so he'll be all right. I really want to get to the on court implications here, but I did have to ask about the rest of this season because there is there's risk here. Kevin Durant's thirty four. Chris Paul's going on thirty eight. Always seems to be injured in the playoffs. Um, there are concerns about the defense, but you're also you're having Kevin Durant come post MCL sprain injury and just have to integrate him almost on the fly with less than a quarter of the regular season to go. And so I'm wondering if you're the Suns, because of the urgency, this trade wasn't just about this season, but because of like the urgency of the actual window. And even if they were younger, by the way, we're seeing title windows just shut. Like everyone thought Brooklyn would be inevitable for more than a second, and they weren't. How much do you read, if you're the Suns, into what happens to close this season? Like let's say if you have a disappointing playoff finish, or if it looks like you know maybe Aiton isn't the cleanest fit. Like how... Uh, Sam, like how much are you reading into what you actually see this season? Or is it regardless of how it ends, we have to sort of take in the fact, like, let's give these guys a training camp to figure it out together. I think you read quite a bit into how this season ends for sure, because it's all about this season. I'm not even thinking beyond the end of this year right now. I know that Kevin Durant is under contract for three more years. I'm not even thinking about it yet because of the utmost importance of the 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 level of parity in the league right now that's really what we're thinking about the the championship is there for the taking um that being said like that that may seem to imply that i have some level of concern over you know this training camp period as you called it the next 20 games i really think they'll be fine might take three or four games but if you look at this particular collection of players in general uh we're talking about some of the most sacrificial superstars in the nba some of the most unselfish superstars in the NBA I think I mean Chris Paul I think that's obvious um DeAndre Ayton I think that's obvious he's not really a superstar uh but Devin Booker is just not a guy who you know he he has found ways throughout his career to excel off ball he's not a guy who needs the ball in his hands constantly he's not one of these heliocentric offensive players that's not how the Suns have played with Devin Booker at the helm ever since Chris Paul came to town a few years ago uh Kevin Durant we've seen him sacrifice plenty in his career in terms of playing with Steph Curry and then playing in the net, playing on the nets. So, you know, I think they'll figure it out pretty quickly. Um, it, I think the offense is going to be smooth. Is there a superstar more fit to play next to another superstar than Devin Booker? You know, like what he does off the ball and what he can do on the ball. It just complements, like it would complement LeBron. It would complement 
Anthony Davis. It would complement, you know, all of these superstars and Kevin Durant. I think it will complement him perfectly. And, you know, offensively, I think it's going to come together right away as well. Now, as far as like the sort of championship expectations in this particular season, uh, it's tough because ultimately it was a midseason trade. And that means that you don't have a lot of time to really build the roster around them. But I, I, I think you're right. I, I mean, the main thing is Chris Paul is is old and you know he doesn't have it every night anymore if you just watch him play some nights he has it some nights he doesn't on the nights he has it he still really has it and on the nights he doesn't he can't shoot like the shooting just disappears entirely you know the defense hasn't been as bad as i anticipated it being so far this season but you know the clock is ticking on him and you know as far as the core of kevin durant devin booker deandre it's still pretty cool but you know the four of them together the best chance for the four of them to win is this year. So I think the pressure is definitely on for them right now. We did do an exercise on this podcast, my co-host and I, uh, right around the trade where we just were trying to name which superstars were most scalable, like who would can so easily fit in with other superstars. And the first three that we named were Steph, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. And this was <laughs> like right before the trade. And so you now have two. We're not saying, I mean, obviously everything that we say is gospel, but like even if we're sort of wrong, to have two of those players that were the first spring to mind pairing. That's what gives me probably. And I think Devin Booker is a big part of that because of what you guys mentioned with everything that he can do off ball. I just don't even have concerns about the offense. I think it's going to be like absolutely thermonuclear um, from the jump. And that's why you see, like you see occasionally I'm seeing it not from everywhere, but in certain select places like this concept again of, Oh, there's only one ball. Like they have to share one ball, which is just like, the most telltale sign that someone doesn't know basketball, if they say something like that about <laughs> Kevin Durant and Devin Booker of all of all stars, it's just like it's not. This is not a James Harden. This is not like putting James Harden and Luka Doncic together on the same team or something. You know, it's just two completely different players. And it also, like, even if you actually believe that, or let's just say like Devin Booker was on the ball more, what didn't have the same up on like we've seen Kevin Durant now do it on so many different occasions. Like he did it with Russ. He did it in Golden State, and then he did it in Brooklyn with like 80 different versions of that team. So it's just the one ball stuff has always been overrated. Unless, like you said, if they're going to be like two super heliocentric stars or like if we have Trey Young, Luca, and James Harden on the same team at one point, that would be that'd be fun to see. <laughs> Mike, what is the the functional wrinkle, the, the on-court fit um, storyline, whatever, that you're most looking forward to, to see with, not storyline, like yeah. functional thing about Kevin Durant coming to the Suns that you can't wait to watch? I have... Uh, two, there's two things that I've been thinking about a lot. And one of them is the way that a lot of teams have sort of countered what the Suns can do with DeAndre and in Chris Paul is putting size on Chris Paul. Like, for example, I'll talk about the Warriors, how the Warriors defend the Suns. The Warriors will put Draymond Green on Chris Paul. And the reason they put Draymond Green on Chris Paul is because if they have a pick and roll between uh, Chris Paul and DeAndre, and Draymond Green can effectively switch that pick and roll onto DeAndre and then they have you know if they want to worry about another big guarding Chris Paul they can worry about that but then they don't have to worry about DeAndre and burying someone under the rim and and Chris Paul getting him the ball because Draymond Green's going to do a good job on him I I don't think you could do that against the Suns anymore you have to put Draymond Green on Kevin Durant and what that means I think even down the line for a lot of these teams you just how many teams have guys that can guard all three of Chris Paul, 
Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and have like a good defender on all three of those guys. Normally, the guys that would be guarding Devin Booker will now be guarding Kevin Durant. That means Devin Booker will have the second best defender on each of those teams. And and Chris Paul can no longer have size on him because the size needs to be on Kevin Durant. And just, I think, functionally, all the things that have been used to counter what the Suns do offensively, you can't do them anymore. I mean, Kevin Durant just breaks every scheme when it comes to that. And then the other thing I think is kind of interesting, people are very concerned about the defense for the Suns, I think maybe superficially sometimes, but I guess losing Mikael Bridges does bring some level of concerns, but I'm not sure how long it's been that if DeAndre Ayton plays the way that we know he's capable of playing, the way that he's played in the playoffs for the past two years, having somebody like Kevin Durant as a weak side shot blocker is not really something that the Suns have had with DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, I think about Steven Adams and JJJ on on Memphis, and I think the Suns can actually do some of the stuff they do defensively with DeAndre Ayton and Kevin Durant because you have another guy roaming around there or even in some cases play DeAndre Ayton higher in some pick-and-roll coverage because they have another guy that can cover the rim now that's effective at the rim. I think those kinds of things and, and the scheme things that you can do because Kevin Durant is this gigantic guy that can do everything on both sides of the floor, it just makes it so fascinating to think about how teams are going to counter it. It's just going to be really difficult for them. Sam, do you have any uh, anything that you're particularly looking forward to that Mike didn't already talk about? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Mike covered a lot. I'm, I'm really just to, again, underscore, I guess, the defensive side of the ball because I feel like that's where most of the concerns are coming from the outside right now. Um, but on the other hand, I don't think a lot of people seem to realize that the Suns have been a top 10 defensive rating team. They've, they've been a better defensive team technically by the stats, and they've been an offensive team this season. And that's largely on the backs of as good as Mikhail Bridges and to an extent Cam Johnson are. It's been largely on the backs of a lot of their backups, a lot of their bench guys. Josh Okogie, who we already talked about, Bismack Biombo and Jock Landale holding it down down low. One guy whose development I'm really excited for over the past 20 games, at least to watch how the narrative develops, is Devin Booker. As we talk about defense, I, I think we've got we've come a really far way, a really long way with Devin Booker and talking about him as as no longer being there was a time in his career, a very long time where he was perceived as just a negative defensively. I think we're now kind of at the point where people understand he's been on a what was a top five defensive team for a couple years in a row. He's not a negative, um, but I think we're we're approaching a point now with Mikhail Bridges no longer being on the team. You don't want Devin Booker as your main point of attack defender necessarily, but I think right. there will be instances where the Suns will approach uh, switch-heavy schemes, and and he really will be embracing some of the toughest defensive assignments we've ever seen from him now that so much of his offense can be freed up or so much of the pressure will be relieved by Kevin Durant. So, I mean, you know, Mike already talked about how important Aiton is. He's going to be huge. KD's going to be huge. Um, but I think we might see some great stuff from from Book down the stretch, and and I'm curious to see how kind of the masses react to that or, or if it sits with them at all. Yeah. The sun's defense has been shocking, especially when like some of their vitals aren't even great. Like to be bottom 10 in defensive rebounding. I think they're, they're dead last in foul rate. I think the last time I looked um, and still to be in the top 10 of points allowed per possession is incredible. And their, their ability to just like piecemeal together a bench amid like sort of the rotating injuries they have. And I think, you know, you look at the names they they weren't necessarily super impressive to start the season their their depth has probably been like one of the uh underrated parts of their season also as we all know like they can put not this doesn't devalue deandre eight and especially when we're talking about his playoff defense but their ability just to like figure out the backup center situation with whoever bismack biombo has been statistically the best rim protector in the league 
Yeah. So like there's just <laughs> mm-hmm. like their knack for just being able to do that is incredible. And Jock's numbers are good too. Uh Sam, do you have any concerns about like the immediate integration or like any like potential awkwardness that you could foresee? I'm gonna sound like such an asshole. Uh no. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry but i kind of already answered this in a previous question i de- my only concern is health i mean if anyone wants to talk to me about this team with health and their injury history it's just it's kind of boring to talk about that either it happens or it doesn't happen but obviously that's that is a concern um in terms of if 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 this team has a full slate of health i have no concerns about their ability to mesh offensively or defensively that's just i'm telling the truth mike do you feel the same way well, you know, when Chris Paul was first traded to the Suns, the Suns were 8-8 eight and eight in their first 16 games. And there was a little bit of weirdness with the two of them figuring it out. And then it just clicked, and they just kind of took off from there, and the rest of the season was amazing. So, you know, I, I, I think, especially with these three guys, I'm, I'm a little concerned about, at the beginning, too much unselfishness. You know, <laughs> there's that famous clip of, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic passing it back and forth at the end of the game to try and get the last second shot up this level of now I have another superstar on this team I'm trying to feed him and you know that sort of unselfishness I don't want that you know like I want them to just play the way that they play but I think Sam the way that you talk about it makes a lot of sense because the Suns offense and the way they use Devin Booker Durant can do all of that better and that means that the plays that exist within the Suns' offense are kind of already built and set up for somebody like Kevin Durant to succeed. And yeah. their ability, both Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, to play multiple roles within those plays, it just all already makes sense without making a lot of changes to what they do, just sort of slotting Kevin Durant in the spot that Cam Johnson was in before. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like that will make sense. Now, defensively, and I think just in general, there's four guys we know are starting. And the fifth guy is going to be the big experimentation piece for the rest of the year. And who that is and who that ends up being and the chemistry with that fifth person is what I think is going to be maybe the challenge, the hurdle that they have to overcome for the rest of the season. That was my primary concern in the sense that everything you mentioned about like KD and on the back line before, uh, and I undersold, I think at the beginning of the year, I was doing an MVP ladder and I was like, well, everyone's talking about his defense and it like hasn't been as good as they're saying. And then he just went on an absolute tear after that. So I looked like an idiot. Um, that's <laughs> huge. But I do think there was probably un, like immeasurable value in just having Mikhail Bridges to know like, okay, like that dude is just going to go defend the other team's best player on the perimeter. And we don't even have to think about it. And now it becomes a game of musical chairs with the fifth spot, or like you mentioned, are you going to be overstretching Devin Booker? And, you know, Josh Okoge might just render that if he's going to shoot 80% from three for the rest of the year, uh, <laughs> a non-issue. But, like, what's going to happen in the playoffs? Is he going to hit enough threes? Is Torrey mm-hmm. Craig going to be good enough offensively? And so, like, that is my only concern, but it actually has nothing to do with Kevin Durant being there. It's just a matter of the the talent that was going out and how much I value Mikael Bridges, who is my defensive player of the year um, pick uh, last season. So, um, that's my only concern insofar as I didn't mention this before, if anyone cares, what I'm interested in, I wonder, or I'm hoping the Suns use KD as a screener more than all of his previous stops, or even as just a pick and roll ball handler more, where maybe if you, you're even using Devin Booker as a screener, just seeing him run it with Deandre Ayton, because he's never done that in excess at any stop. Uh, in large part, I don't think he was there yet as a decision maker with OKC. And then golden state just doesn't play that way. And then Brooklyn was, 
I don't like to oversimplify this either, but it was a lot of like your turn, my turn stuff for them on the offensive end. They implemented some more off ball movement here and there. And just knowing how the Suns use Devin Booker, I am wondering if we could see more of that from KD as like the pick and roll initiator, because that's just, you know, I don't care who he's running it with, but like that just seems like one of the most unguardable plays in the NBA. And so I'm just curious if I would expect to, but I'm curious what you guys think. Like, should we expect that volume to, to really jump for him? I think his his bread and butter is going to be, as Mike said, using him the same way in the offense that we've seen Booker operate, which is mainly out of those elbow sets. So not exactly in that pick and roll ball handler role. That being said, I, I think an element of what you're saying is definitely true, Dan. I, I, he's good at everything. He just is good at everything. He can screen. He could be the pick and roll ball handler yeah. or he can come off the screens himself. He's deadly no matter where he is on the floor. It might just necessitate tweaking the rotations um, a little bit. And so KD could totally, I mean, one conversation to have is just to what extent they're going to stagger these guys to begin with, right? Because there definitely is still this question or this overall problem of the top four guys on the team are great. Then there's a drop off. How much production can we expect out of say campaign or Terrence Ross, who they just picked up off the buyout market to kind of be that, that score off the bench or how much would you want to uh, maybe instead of that, bring KD, stagger him a little bit and play him with some bench lineups, say next to guys like that, in which case he could definitely take on more of a pick and roll ball handler role. It's just when he's sharing the floor with Chris Paul, Chris Paul kind of needs to play that role as much as yeah. possible. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to a question of, of rotations more than anything else, but he can do it all. I, I do think the the Suns are probably going to spend a lot of time with Chris Paul and DeAndre and on the floor when Kevin Durant is not, so they can run those types of pick and rolls. But you do bring up the idea of even Devin Booker screening. And there's there's three players on the Suns that Kevin Durant played with previously. There's Damian Lee, there's Cameron Payne, and there's Landry Shamit. And Landry Shamit screened for Kevin Durant all the time in the past when they were on Brooklyn together. And the way they use Landry Shamit as a screener for Durant, I think there's obvious reasons for that. They have a little tiny guy on Landry Shamit, and they have, uh, you know, you need a big giant guy to guard Kevin Durant. So if you switch on that, obviously Kevin Durant ends up with a small guy on him. You can shoot right over him. But I do think that that kind of experience that Kevin Durant had with a smaller guy, like a guard screener on the ball for him, could end up leading to some really interesting stuff with Devin Booker because you can't, you can't really trap that in any way because the the person who's in the best position to catch the ball at that point is Devin Booker. And if you switch switch it up at all, then the size mismatch is going to favor the Suns. And I do wonder about that. But also on the other end, just like a, the idea of a DeAndre and Kevin Durant pick and roll, it sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're going to do to guard that. That's going to be amazing. Uh in a side, Landry Shamit has had so many superstar teammates. He's just recycling them now <laughs> like from LA to Brooklyn to Philly. And like now Phoenix, and then Kevin Durant's like on his team again, he's had some legendary teammates. Uh, Deandre Ayton. I think you could make the argument. And I already did on a previous podcast that he's just like the most important defender, maybe in the NBA right now, looking at what yeah. you're going to expect from lift from him during the playoffs. And he's been great lately. I don't think I've swung higher and lower on one player over the past like three or four years um than deandre Ayton, and like there was You're not like, alone there was some like <laughs> stability um the first finals run like when they their first finals run when during their finals run there's there some yeah dan there. say it again their first finals run. <laughs> Lock it in, baby. second but, one like, coming soon 
but it's been so turbulent otherwise. I think his offensive fit is divine, and there's like there's a clear path to him just like st- like not stumbling, but play finishing his way to like 23 points a game or whatever. Do you worry at all because there's been so much reporting about how he was kind of disenchanted with like the front office, and now he knows his name was dangled in trade talks again to where you could see this having an adverse impact, or is this just something that we don't need to be concerned about or monitor? And I'll throw that to Mike first. Uh, I'm concerned. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think, you know, you perfectly uh, summed up why he might be the most frustrating player on the Suns in a long time. And it's because he's great. And then also sometimes he sucks. And I think that sort of combination of you understand the ability and you understand what he's capable of. And also the fact that he doesn't bring it every night, uh, it's become incredibly frustrating to watch. And, you know, there's a lot of these guys, I think that actually exist on even contenders. Sometimes Andrew Wiggins just won a championship and, you know, with Deandre Ayton though, I think that there has to be some level of understanding that this is the best opportunity that the city the the city of phoenix has ever had to win a championship you know as far as the suns go and that type of pressure i think he usually does well with you know the everyone sort of fell apart in the dallas series at the end there and there's reasons why but he was one of them that fell apart in the last few games uh for that particular series but he's played pretty well throughout the entire finals run in the past like you mentioned and I, I just don't think there's any way to say, oh, he's going to be fine because he can't guarantee it. You know, I, I think that he's shown that he plays well in the playoffs. So fingers crossed that that trend continues. But, you know, he is he is who he is. And I think we know who he is at this point. Sometimes he's great and sometimes he's not. And this season in particular, the defense has not been good with him on the floor. And that needs that statistic needs to flip. And I think it's it been- can. I do think it's been better of late, but yes, yeah, it has. overall, it has absolutely not been good. And ultimately with this guy, I mean, you're getting paid $30 million. You've got this culture led by Monty Williams, players coach. You've got Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and now Kevin Durant on your ass. If that's not going to motivate you, Mike covered the historical aspect too, like bringing the first championship to Phoenix. If you're not motivated by all of these factors at this point, you're just a lost cause. So it's sink or swim time for, for DA and we'll see either he's going to flourish. And I absolutely think all of the pieces um, to the formula are there for him to flourish on both ends of the court. Um, or he's going to be one of the most rapidly depreciating assets yeah. in the NBA. And he's gone. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> they'll we'll trade him for out. sure. Yeah. That's okay though, because you just resigned Bismarck Biombo and there's no drop off. <laughs> <whatsoever. laughs> the defense yeah. gets better. I'm, I am curious if there's, should be less concerned just because now he's been paid and like, dude, you're on the max contract. Like you're going to get paid no matter what. And so you don't have to worry about that. I mean, but there's, then I'm off. Oh, there's go ahead. definitely, no, just definitely. There is that aspect of like, dude, what else do you want? You know, like you, you yeah. would rather rot in Indiana averaging 20 <laughs> and 10 on 53% true shooting. Like I don't understand, <laughs> you know, it's, you have everything you could possibly want in Phoenix, except for maybe those extra post touches. Yeah, or like maybe one of these teams has like a, a shot doctor for taking jump hooks in transition or something. That's <laughs> unbelievable that he did that. I still can't believe it. Uh, that was from you. Uh, you had a conversation about it on one of your podcasts like a month or so ago, and I, I couldn't stop laughing when I was listening to it. <laughs> I've never seen it before. It's like it's like the TV broadcast accidentally showed us a play from 1958. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so someone, I can't remember who made this point. I don't think it was one of you, but it was not something I considered. Devin Booker 
has never just been like the unquestioned number two option since he's been a regular rotation player. Yeah. What is like, what is the ceiling on Devin Booker as being sort of this number two? I just feel like there might actually be like a learning curve for him because he's going to get the ball and he's not going to see like two bodies around him immediately. He's not going to know what to do with all that extra space when he's on the ball. So like Sam, what is Devin Booker as the, the number two, like what is just the ceiling on that? That's a really interesting question where it's a throwback to the Kentucky days in a way. I mean, that wasn't him being the number two option. That was him being the yeah, number six option. They wouldn't let him do anything offensively when he was like, I didn't watch him, yeah. but like that was the. No pick and rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what's the what's the ceiling? What is Booker? I should look like. Is he at twenty seven ish points per game right now? He's probably yeah. gonna go down a little bit if we're being honest, but he certainly could see an efficiency bump for the rest of the season. Um, there's gonna be an adjustment period, but but I have no particular worries here. The last time he was a number two option, it was Eric Bledsoe <laughs> or Brandon. Knight. Yeah, maybe maybe he was a number two option next to next to Eric Bledsoe when, like when he was a rookie. I can't, can't remember. <laughs> well, and I think at the beginning of that year, before uh, the team sort of fell apart, he was shooting like fifty percent on threes because he was just catching and shooting wide open threes, and he's still such a great catch and shoot three point shooter that if he finds his way to more of those, I think the efficiency will go up, but just the ability of going against the second best defender every night, I think is going to be fascinating for him. And I I do think it'll be interesting because it like, how does he not just try to pass to Kevin Durant on every play? (laughs) There is going to be some level of just give it to that guy. And I hope he doesn't do that. Right. I kind of want him to still be Devin Booker because especially the Devin Booker that we saw earlier this season. It was unbelievable to start this season. And, uh, you know, if he continues to be that guy and Kevin Durant continues to be the guy he is and the defense sort of shifts to the second best guy in Booker, I, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Unless I blocked out uh, the early part of the season, it felt like we saw more Devin Booker uh, as point guard lineups in that game they played against the Kings. Is that something that's going to be a staple or is it just an issue of, or you know, sort of a function of campaign being out right now? Or is it hmm. even if, even if you have room for those, okay, we're going to have like our one star units. Are the Suns going to be more inclined to give those reps to KD just because that might be more natural for him since Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Hayden are also used to playing together. It's more of a defensive thing than anything. And I think one thing Mike and I talked about recently on an episode is that one of the most unique and interesting lineups you could throw out is, yeah, why not play book at the one? Katie at the five and then just throw some shooters and wings around them, switch everything and see what can happen. And, you know, to your question of, is it actually going to happen or not with the book point lineups, the very first game of the season, I remember they, they sat Chris Paul. It was, it was the win against the Mavs. They sat Chris Paul. He was having a bad game. Um, He sat for the final five minutes of the fourth quarter or so. I think it was campaign who, who replaced him, but really Booker was the point guard. And we're going to see, I think we're going to continue to see these, opportunities to sit Chris Paul for defensive purposes at the end of a game, even though he has been this clutch guy um, throughout all of his career. Well, now you have an even better option to go to in the mid range uh, during clutch time. And Kevin Durant, you really don't. It's not to say that you can't like, I think Chris Paul will continue to close most of the games for the Suns, but you really don't need him to. And will there be certain nights where maybe it just makes most sense to play book Booker, um, at point guard, and maybe you can play KD and, and Aiton together. I don't know. But then it's like Damian Lee to close or campaign or just like put an extra shooter on the floor who has a few extra inches on defense. I, I really do think it's something that we could see. Um, and I hope 
I, I, I guess just above all, I hope it's not something that Monty is afraid to flex uh, a little bit for Chris Paul's sake, because it's a legitimate weapon that he has in his arsenal. My my theory is that it was more campaign related than anything else. But we have really since Monty Williams came to the Suns, we really don't see a lot of Devin Booker uh, at point. Now, the first season, Ricky Rubio was on the on the team. And then every season since then, Chris Paul has been on the team. But throughout that entire time, there has not been another star level playmaker on the team. But now there is in Kevin Durant. So, you know, I think for Monty, he just liked the idea of having multiple creators on the floor. The offense works the best when there's multiple creators on the floor. So now with Kevin Durant, I think the likelihood that we could see more minutes with Devin Booker at the point guard is higher than it was previously, if only because they have another playmaker in Kevin Durant that could share the floor with him. So I hope it does happen because I actually really like those minutes a lot. The shortest guy on the floor is 6'6". Yeah. in Devin Booker and that's just a nice thing to have if you play say the Dallas Mavericks again or even the Clippers again you know it'd be nice to play lineups where you know Devin Booker is at the point where I think he's he's earned it I think he can do it it's just Monty doesn't like it he wants to have another guy out there so hopefully they do they do it more and yeah, Chris, Chris Paul has been such a reliable steady presence for the offense but let the man rest his tired bones I'm very much on that <laughs> team and I think I think Mike is with me too yeah uh, I appreciate the answer because I don't want to have to. I ask you this question every single time you guys are on the podcast: Is are we going to? Is this when we see more Devin Booker at point guard? I'm a yeah. big advocate. Those lines. I still think he's one of the most underappreciated passers, like slash playmakers, in the league right now. Uh, people get excited about buyout uh, acquisitions, and they almost <laughs> never really like play major roles. How big of a role is Terrence Ross going to play for this team, or do you see him being more of a bit player once we have both Shamit and Campaign <laughs> back in Phoenix's rotation? Uh, Mike, this... I think you should take this one. <laughs> yeah, I think this is I'm interesting. Doing a terrible job of directing this. I'm no, like, well, I'm like... <laughs> the reason we're joking about we we conflict on this one. You go first, though. I think. Uh, well, I think it's interesting because I think, and I'm going to speak for you, Sam, a little bit. I think Sam has made the case of what does he do that Landry Shamit uh, doesn't. And well, it's not quite that, but I mean, he shoots, right? Okay, so here's my problem. Sorry, I'm going to jump in. <laughs> okay, he shoots. Yeah, was that really what they needed? Dan, I mean, was no. like what they, else was there? They got a fumble into point of attack defense, though, yeah. on the buyout market. Yeah, I mean, they could have gone after you know Justin Holiday or Stanley Johnson or someone, but like they they got a guy who's fearless and is going to take a lot more shots than Landry Shamit would take. Uh, but I don't know. I just I'm not sure where that was on my list of priorities. That's all. His 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 debut was not particularly inspiring to my eye test. Yeah. He shot um, 17 times. He shot 17 times. That's crazy points. It's crazy. There will will be games that look better, but I would have a short leash for him personally, knowing that both Damian Lee and even Shamit, who I'm hard on Shamit too, but both of them are playable. You are hard on Shamit. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like if if Ross is not going to be playable, and I'm not saying that it was that bad in game one, it's just I would have a short leash. That's all. The, let me just say the the Suns have okay they have Damian Lee they have Landry Shamit Damian Lee statistically one of the best three point shooters in the NBA this season Landry Shamit a pretty good year I think for him shooting wise who knows if how he is health wise maybe this is more about his health than anything else because we don't really know when he's playing again um, the most frustrating thing about both of those players is how often they turn down three point shots Terrence Ross is not gonna do that. He's going to fire those shots up, and I think the Suns will have a guy when they need 
to even that sort of variability battle that they often lose in the playoffs being the team that shoots less threes than most other teams because they dominate either inside with DeAndre and or from the mid range with Chris Paul, Devin Booker. And now Kevin Durant, they kind of need a J.R. Smith to be out there and just fire threes when he catches the ball. And, you know, I will say, Sam, I agree with you. The, the first game, not great. Often curling around and shooting mid range shots. Don't really want him doing that. But if he's unafraid yeah. to shoot on closeouts from the three point line, I think it's valuable to have a guy that's just not afraid to shoot. Well, I will say, I think how scared the other two guys are. I think we very much need to see how it looks with KD first, because I do think he was playing a different role in that first game, trying to be more of an offensive threat. But it's just like the three-point shot thing. He shot one for eight in that game. That's not the part that bothers me. Uh, 4% of all of Terrence Ross's field goals this year are at the rim. Like that to me is the part that scares me is not the fact that you're shooting too many threes, but just the fact that you're completely neglecting the rim to take you know, 16 footers instead. So yeah. if that's the thing that continues, then that's the part that I absolutely, we don't need that in the offense. We have four mid range shooters better than you already. So like cut that shit out. Yeah. That's, shoot the, that's threes. the only thing. Shoot the threes. Shoot, I shoot think threes. they'll, they'll figure it out. I think uh, my official prediction is he will not be in their playoff rotation. If Landry Shamit is healthy, because I think that there's the Suns are only going to have a stomach for how many times he looks off like a wide open booker or KD and takes up like 14 footer off the dribble. That just caroms off the, the back of the rim his like Mon- yeah that might be maybe that that was like a terrence ross thing in toronto and orlando but i just that's he's never not, played I, with players this good though you know maybe maybe he can adjust to your point dan monty loves landry shaman like his own son <laughs> he really does it's um, kind of inexplicable <laughs> so this it's too early to but i want to ask you this anyway so if you, sam you're the you're monty williams right now but there's like there's so much interchangeability and shape shifting you could do especially when you're looking at kind of the wing spots here how are you if the playoffs started today, like building your oh. eight, nine man rotation? Because there's the way I look at it, there's like four locks for playing time is that your top four players, and then everyone else, maybe right now with the exception of Josh Kogi, seems like very fungible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so KD is playing 40 minutes. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> 48 so, if he had any choice hope, in it. Hopefully on a bionic MCL. At this yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but he is though. Can we be honest? Like, like okay say i'm monty williams and i say kd it's the first round of the playoffs we're the fourth seed we're playing dallas in the first round uh i'm gonna hold you to 34 minutes per game you know and and you have to watch landry shaman and terrence ross take jumpers for those other 14 (laughs) minutes you think kd's gonna be okay with that like he's playing 40 minutes regardless of what his health status is he's he's playing 40 minutes so what do you do with the time outside of that i think a kogi's the fifth starter absolutely i think you're bang on about that dan Tory Craig's going to play. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. He's probably going to play 15 or 20 minutes. The rest of the wing rotation, who else is even in there? I think there's room for one more guy to carve out a role. Is it going to be Terrence Ross? You seem to think no. Is it going to be... I mean, I'm partial to Damian Lee just because of the shooting. I think the defense isn't great, but it's it's good enough. Um, Ish Wainwright probably not going to get converted for that last spot, although technically it could happen. They still have a spot. They still have one roster spot. He's a guy who actually his defensive numbers have been pretty good this year. His three-point shooting has improved. I could see him carving out, like, say, an eight-minute-per-game role in the playoffs where he's the ninth man. Um, but to your point, I mean, that those last couple of spots are very open. Cameron right Payne is playing. Cameron Payne is up. definitely playing. He's definitely it, playing. Just to finish with this, like, Akogi, in my opinion, is definitely playing as of now. Craig, I'm, I'm like, 99% sure is playing. After those two, I think it could be anyone. 
Yeah, Biombo plays because Aiton can't play the whole game, right? I don't know. Maybe they do some level of. Well, you have as you put Ish next to KD, and that's your front court. Maybe they do, but Monty doesn't. (laughs) You know, he never (laughs) does. There's always a traditional big on the floor, and so I just, I just, and I also find it hard to believe that he'll change. They're gonna want a traditional big on the floor, I think, for ten minutes or so to back up Aiton. I don't know if that guy is going to be Biz or if it's going to be Jock. Yeah, Jock's been good. I, I still think Jock offensively He's been okay. is so much better than Biombo. And then Biombo defensively yeah. is as you said, maybe the best. He's Gobert, basically. They just they like <laughs> he's, he's they back like Gobert. Hey, hey, don't they, insult Bismarck Biombo. <laughs> that's true. Gobert is like 10, 10% worse. They yeah. like the fact that Jock, they can run the same offense with Jock on the floor as with Aiden because he can kind of exploit a mismatch in the post. Not like as well, but Whereas with Biz, he's a total non-factor, and you can foul him, and he'll shoot. He's shooting like thirty percent on free throws. (laughs) Yeah. So, in in Monty's defense, just knowing how he used Sarge a couple years ago, he is more open to experimenting at the five than Tom Thibodeau is. And so, at least he's Mm -hmm. not that stubborn. That's very. Darius Baisley is the other guy we've thrown out. He's played at the five before with uh, with OKC, but I don't actually think they're going to trust him enough to do anything. I think there's a chance he's not even on the roster. Here's the people that were twisting themselves into a pretzel to believe that that trade was anything more than like trimming the raised luxury tax bill where actually I try not to get angry at this stuff, but I was like, has anyone watched enough Darius Baisley at this point? Yeah. So like, he's had some really bright defensive moments. I'll give him that, but he is, he's one of the worst offensive players in the NBA. And I don't know why you would trust him. He's like, I call him formless. Like he's just this formless player. (laughs) And there were people that were like, Oh, he might actually like be in the sun's rotation. They got another wing type player. No, it's like, could we not, can we not do this? I, I honestly think there's a good chance that he's gone. If they if they pick up another buyout guy, which there's rumors that they're interested in, I, I guess Will Barton hasn't signed anywhere yet, has he? I don't think he has. That's just least. what you need after you sign. Why? Off, of course. I, I'm Why? just saying there's guys out there. I thought it could have been Kevin doing? Love. Kevin Love what now signing with, with the Heat, apparently. Stanley um, Johnson is still right there. Is he right? He hasn't signed anywhere yet. I don't know. Has he? Yeah, Stanley Johnson. He's no, safe. he's still out there. Yeah, and he played well for the Spurs. I didn't see too much. I saw some of him, and he actually looked pretty good. And then the Spurs got rid of him anyway. And I was like, well, maybe he was contributing to winning a little too much there, even though they haven't won in like <laughs> eight years. Yeah, maybe they signed Stanley Johnson. I think there's a chance they cut Baisley just to convert Ish. I, I actually think Ish Wainwright, if I had to make a list of players who I think will play, Ish Wainwright's not at the bottom. I think he's he's a little bit higher, maybe just under Tory Craig when it comes to uh, wings. Just because he knows the system, he's big. He kind of does things other guys can't do. His shooting has been okay this season, and like you said, you know he's he he's played backup center before for the Suns. But you know when you put him next to Kevin Durant, it's it's a little bit different in that Kevin Durant can kind of do a lot of the center stuff too. So you have kind of two guys who are the two bigs that play in that scenario, and uh, it's it they have not a lot of time to figure it out though, Dan, right. which I think is kind of interesting, is that it's like twenty something games for the rest of the season. And they just have to figure it out. And I think that is not as easy of a situation as you would like it to be. And when it comes to Monty, the reason I put Ish a little higher, maybe leaning on the guys that he knows know the system well, it would be higher on his priority list. One name that has not been mentioned by any of us right now, and so I'm taking that to suggest that you just don't have expectations uh, for him, is TJ Warren. That's a great point. I keep forgetting he's on the roster. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The um, return. I think it's been interesting because we did kind of hype up the return in the past week. And then he he played like 12 minutes combined in his first two games. And doesn't look good. (laughs) He looks okay. 
We well, we played basketball had... in like two years. He actually looked better in Brooklyn than I thought he would. Yeah, but... we haven't had this uh, conversation yet, Mike. You no, think the two of us bad. Yeah. I don't think, think he's going to – I I said it, I think, briefly on our last podcast, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was out of the rotation in the playoffs entirely. But I think, like, you know, if they need some level of offense off the bench, if they don't find the right ways to stagger the four main guys on the Suns, then they need another offensive player off the bench. I could see him carving out a role, but he's got to hit threes and he has to defend. And I'm, I'm a little worried about kind of both of those things at this point for him. So, should the Suns be considered favorites to come out of the West? There's, we know the urgency that they have, but do you should we default to that because now you've added one of the five best players in basketball, one of the greatest players of all time, or because it's you know we've mentioned that they don't have a lot of time to figure this out, Mike? Like, should we default to like, well, the continuity in Denver, or maybe even with the Clippers? <laughs> uh, it's like, or should the Suns? Wow, you guys Damn. are chuckling. Dan, sorry, I'm laughing at Sam laughing for he's the record. Laughing, yeah, he's laughing at me being an <laughs> asshole again. Respectfully, Dan, we're just a couple of hacks, right? Like you're the NBA guy. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> well, let me Should ask. We be the favorites. Well, let I me can't. ask it this way: Who do you think is? Because when I think about the Suns being the favorites, I'm like, oh, I don't really like that. I don't really like hearing that. It makes me feel weird. Uh, you know, the this sort of uh, weight of expectations on our shoulders or whatever. Yeah, what is this new feeling of being uh, yeah. the favorites? You know? But but then I think about each playoff team and the Suns matching up against each playoff team, and I'm like, well, the Suns should be favored in all of these matchups. And then I'm like, oh, I guess that makes them a favorite. It's like even even Denver, uh, you know, the Suns are kind of the perfect team to try to beat what Denver does. Mm-hmm. If they can figure out how to do it, they have the guy who, quote-unquote, defends Jokic well, although I doubt that that continues just because Jokic just figures guys out over time. But just how you punish guys who are at the level of the screen, if Jokic drops it all, they have all the guys who kind of kill that. Um, so I would think the Suns are favored, but what do you think, Dan? I still... So do you guys know who my title pick is? I, I do not. Don't. Can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Is it the Bucks? No, I do it's have them either, in the finals, though. I'm going to oh. say it's either them or... Well, actually, you're pretty high on Denver. But yeah. it, is it, it is, is it Boston? It's been Denver since it's before Denver. the season. I did a YouTube video on it. People were angry. Uh, You're dead, to, Denver. Me. You're dead. Denver. dead to me. <laughs> You're no better. You and Zach Lowe can go and pod together for all I Hey, can. I picked the Suns to win the titles each of the past two years. Yeah, we have so smart in 2000 and what was that? 20 yeah, we let him down. We let him down, Sam. That's true. Uh, that's true. And the fact that I picked them again after that, oof, glutton yeah. for punishment. Um, I think I just... And I'm, I think I'm wrong in saying this because I feel like we worry too much about, oh, these teams don't have enough time to figure it out with this new superstar who's coming. And so I'm like, I'll probably pick the Suns next season if like KD and Devin Booker are both still there and like Kevin, Kevin Rant's healthy. Um, but we saw it in Brooklyn. Like we had, you talk about worry, concerns about only having one ball. That would have been a situation where you maybe could have talked yourself into it while they played very sparingly together. The minutes they played, they're just absolutely dominant. And so I actually think that we're all collectively on a national level, not like not the timeline podcast, fellas, not the people who watch this team every day, but like we're all too cowards, too cowardly to say the Suns need to be title favorites right off the bat. We're more inclined to say, well, well, it's like they're clearly in on now or their championship or bust. The Suns probably should be considered Western Conference favorites because yeah. of just who Kevin Durant is and even who Devin Booker is. I still, I will fully just admit, I'm too much of a coward to say it. Like I still just think that <laughs> continuity is important. I truly do believe in Denver more than most people. I think their top end units 
are playoff proof now on defense. Mm-hmm. There's more optionality there. That's a different discussion to have. But I think if we're looking at this objectively, the Suns should absolutely be title favorites, and we're all just a bunch of chicken shits who won't pick them at a national level at this point. Who does Michael Porter Jr. guard on the Suns? <laughs> Uh, that's funny that you think that Michael Porter Jr. is going to be playing high stakes minutes in the playoffs. <laughs> they gave him a max. They gave him a max. I still can't believe it. Uh, you know, I do think the idea of the amount of time they have left is an interesting concept, and I think the Suns do have to worry about that. But I will say the playoffs themselves are almost like little mini seasons in their own, just because the amount of adjustments that have to be made matchup to matchup and how things change within the playoffs that amount of time that they have to get together and get that continuity together, it matters. But, you know, the playoffs are so different anyway that things have to change and have to adjust in the playoffs. And, you know, I I don't really know. You know, we haven't seen it yet. It's a weird time to be talking about it because we just haven't seen it yet. And it's going to be really interesting to hopefully next Thursday against the, well, this Thursday, I should say, against the OKC Thunder. We actually get to see it for the first time and get a better idea of if they should be or not, you know, as quickly as then. But, we haven't seen it yet, so we'll see. Uh, Sam, are there any actual playoff matchups as of now that you would be concerned about? Like, if you had to pick one team that you think is built to play this iteration of the Suns really well? Well, I think I, this is a cop-out answer. I think you go down the line, most teams in the Western Conference, you can kind of envision giving the Suns a series. This is like, again, when I talk about the level of parity Memphis that exists... Can't. I would like to put that on the record right now. You think they, you, you Do you think... They that, are the... Oh, they're frauds. I'm sorry. There's just it's, like because they have court offense, right? Yeah, it's just and they've seen it. It's like, hey, real a really big chunk of our offense is collecting our own misses, and we're just not going to address that. And we've seen yeah. since even Adams has been out how much that can come back to bite them. And their big solution was getting Luke Kennard. So yeah. they're just yeah. and fit, um, not the answer. And, and definitely, well, definitely the Suns have struggled though to be honest with Memphis's size in the past, but getting KD really goes a, a long way towards shoring that issue up as well jared jr might foul kd five times in three minutes (laughs) they're not okay i'll admit they're not the first team that i was thinking of as like oh i'm worried about them and what about the kings the other team well okay i was gonna say the other team that i think would be like (laughs) no offense but light work are the kings it's like yeah yeah, fun story but yeah (laughs) the kings are not stop anyone that's just yeah least of all this offense that's not scary (laughs) but um i mean look the nuggets but if we're talking about teams like before who you would meet potentially in the western conference finals um the clippers are still there man we just saw it the other night the clippers have i i really like their depth moves and Kawhi has been great for the past six weeks or so and he actually played like shit in that game against the suns but they still won regardless so i think the clippers have to be near the top of that list um is there anyone else besides that who am I missing? So you guys just aren't even worried about the Nuggets at all. Oh, Dallas. No, 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 no. I am Dallas. for sure. I am for sure worried about. No, I'm for sure worried about the Nuggets, Dan. I, okay. I just I was thinking about the Nuggets as like Western Conference Finals. I'm thinking about like, is there anyone first or second round? The Pelicans, if Zion's healthy. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a good one. They played us really, really well at the beginning of the season. I'm really curious to see how that matchup looks because it's like two completely different teams now. And, and the Warriors are still a wild card. I, I just don't know. You know, their defense has been bad all year. And, you know, regardless of who's on the court, their defense has kind of been bad all year. And the Suns have beat them, I think, every time they've played so far, maybe two or three times so far this season, even just with Mikael Bridges as the main star. Uh, you know, so you can have some level of confidence in that. But you just never know with the Warriors and what they're going to do and what they can do and how much Steph is going to go off, what Clay Thompson they're going to get, if Andrew Wiggins can defend 
I don't even know who's gonna he's gonna defend actually. Probably if Devin Draymond, Booker. If Draymond kicks KD in the nuts and injures yeah, Chris or something, to, you, know? you know, injures Chris Paul or something. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't really know. So uh but I do think like I said, I think the Suns are probably gonna go into basically every series they play as the favorites just because of the sheer amount of talent they have. It's just up to, you know, I think a lot of pressure is on Monty Williams, too. We didn't even talk about that just to make the proper adjustments that need to be made, play the right guys and and schematically make the right defensive adjustments against a lot of these teams. And and that's going to be interesting to see as well. Is Do you think James Jones is still under pressure after making this trade? Well, yeah, uh, Isaiah Thomas is free. Um, Dan, he's under he's under a lot of pressure. New owner yeah. syndrome. You called it that before. I, you know, I think he gets a pass for now because they were able to execute the KD trade. But but yeah, <laughs> he just is. Anytime ownership changes like that, he just is. I hope he stays because I think the way the Suns need to build in this offseason is they need to nail all of the margins. And I think that's where James Jones has been just great. The entire time he's been with the Suns, the draft is doesn't count, right? We're not going to mention the draft. <laughs> but I outside still haven't of that, forgiven him for the Halliburton stuff. I know yeah. that that's the lazy, low hanging fruit. Whatever. I just we'd I probably still, still have Mikael Bridges right now if right. we had Tyree because it's not low Halliburton. It, it's not low hanging. He deserves to be thrashed for that one. Yeah. Um, but he did really, really well with his veteran minimum signings. I mean, veteran we talked minimums, about. Yeah, I said to Mike throughout. recently. I said to Mike recently. I don't know if the Suns would have been in position to have survived the Devin Booker injury well enough to make the KD trade, right? Because they had to be a few games over 500, even in spite of that Booker injury, to then have the confidence and say, let's go get Durant at the midseason deadline. I don't know if they would have been there had Jock Landale and Damian Lee and Josh Okogie and these veteran minimum signings not panned out as well as they have. Those guys have collectively, I think, contributed to maybe three or four wins this season that you otherwise don't have, and, and you would have given up on the season a lot earlier, and maybe we would have been talking about ping pong balls. Yeah, and now they're all, they might start. <laughs> all three of those guys could make a case to start for the Suns. So, I mean, it's important for the Suns to nail those kinds of moves. So when it comes to James Jones, having an offseason, understanding that now he has Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and trying to build around what those two guys are, I think would be, and with an owner willing to spend money and like actually involved with the team in a way that right now, at least we can consider a good way because the checkbook is open. I think would be a fascinating thing to see as far as James Jones goes. Yeah. Does that, does Robert Sarver say yes to that trade? If that's on the table, probably not. Right. I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, is, I think it was literally $40 million more, not just the salary, $40 million just in tax and luxury tax payments. Yeah. Yeah. They they cut some of it with the, the charge trade. Yeah, they did. Yeah. But if they, if they end up filling out the roster, I think they can add a lot of that back which I guess they have to <laughs> fill out the roster. So they end up adding a lot of it back anyway. So we'll see what the final bill is going to be. But I mean, $14 million is the total amount Robert Sarver has ever paid in his over 20 year ownership of the Suns in luxury tax, $14 million. And, and they're paying $40 million this year alone. Uh, so don't worry, he's totally atoned now because he included $20,000 bonus. Yeah, that, that probably Matt Ishbia paid for. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know you guys said, and it's fair that you haven't started thinking about this, and there's a chance that this team could look, depending on what happens with Aiton or maybe even Paul, drastically different next year still. And I'll ask you about something else about that in a second. However, let's assume just the crux of this roster is in place. 
like who is the ideal free agent or player that you would like to see within reason that you would like to see added to this this core? Interesting. Sam, um, do you I have, have an answer to that. I haven't I looked have at free- one. If anybody cares, but I'm oh, interested. I'm interested yeah. in your answer. I haven't looked at free agents at all yet. I do think I I kind of teased it before. They're going to have to replace Josh Okogie again, probably. I don't think they're going to be able to afford him, and they're just going to need to keep cycling through these defensive players. I I guess I feel like the mini MLE might still be enough to keep him. Maybe yeah, that's not who I, I, I think so too. I, think so I have too. a lot of stock. If you couldn't tell, I mean, <laughs> I believe there's a chance. It just that... depends on how he plays in the playoffs. So he could, you know, because yeah. like, look what happened with Gary Payton. The second, when it comes to the Warriors, he he went out of uh, the taxpaying MLE and went directly to the MLE amounts, and and then the Warriors couldn't afford it, had to trade for him. <laughs> that, that sorry, that trade was hysterical. Yeah, uh, the name I would like to see, and his current team can pay him more, but not by much, and so it might be like sort of a years thing or wants to play with KD again thing. I really like the idea of Bruce Brown on this team. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'm totally there. That would be fantastic. I'm asking, you know who would be good on this team? Uh, Jay Crowder. <laughs> I'm not even joking, too. He would be so good on this team. Maybe they resign him then? He's going to no. be a free agent. I don't know if you I know. Just, but... Thinking about him being traded, and I was like, man, if only he wasn't. I don't know what's going on. I honestly don't know what, what happened there, but I do think he would have been a really great fit uh, for the Suns. Now, I, I, I'll be honest. If I, if I think about this season, and if the Suns win a championship, they could keep the four guys together and then try and work around that. If they don't, I think Chris Paul and I think DeAndre and could be on the trade market. And I, when I think about building the team in the offseason, I think I'm still sort of wrapping my head around what they can do. I think the only two guarantees in the future are going to be Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and they might have to figure out ways to build around them in the future if they don't win a championship this year. Out of respect for Sam, let's put Josh Okogie under the certainties umbrella. All right. Kevin Durant, <laughs> Evan Booker. And Landry Shamit, <laughs> <laughs> apparently. So, all right, and you mentioned that, and I only bring this up because Brian Windhorst said it, and he just doesn't say things. No. And, yeah. and, no. <laughs> and we, no. we, we call him friend of the show, Brian Windhorst, now because he follows us for some reason. So friend of the yeah. show, Brian Windhorst, kind of mentioned that the Kyrie Irving to Phoenix thing is still a possibility. How much do you play stock in it and what like could you even like wrap your brain around that happening um i actually do believe that windhorst is very well connected yes but so in terms of stock i guess that's one thing i i just i would i would have a hard time i think mike would have a hard time too am i speaking for you there mike yes <laughs> i think i think we don't want this to happen i don't know why you would but just to be clear i don't support it in any way i was just i was kind of miffed that the sun's reportedly had interest in him to begin with yeah i didn't understand it either one thing i will say though is out of the blue uh, about two months ago tim mcmahon was on brian windhorse's podcast and he said a name to keep an eye on for the mavericks not now but in the future is deandre ayton and he just threw that out so randomly and then a month later brian windhorse mentioned the idea of Kyrie Irving on the Suns. The Suns don't have the cap space right. to sign uh, Kyrie Irving in the offseason, assuming Kyrie Irving was available. But if the Mavs really are into DeAndre and maybe they could work out a signing trade for somebody like that. And that's when I was like, you know what? Maybe this is real. And Brian Windhorst wasn't just, I don't know, because there is some level of sometimes agent chicanery, right? Trying to build up the market for a player to get as much money as possible. And 
it's hard to know with free agents what's real and what's not sometimes. But I put those two rumors together in my mind recently. I was like, oh no, <laughs> this could actually happen. Hey, I'm not, I don't want to cover Kyrie Irving on a week to week basis off the court. O- on the court, I think even he's, he's still pretty good, uh, but not exactly somebody that I want to cover on the court either. So I don't know. Hope it doesn't happen. And I also would say I would bet against it happening just because to hard cap yourself to bring him here via a sign and trade just feels like, all right, well, now you just limited your flexibility for the rest of the season. So yep. if you get injured, like you're going to be limited in what, how you could replace that. And he's not exactly, you know, a beacon of availability himself. So <laughs> yeah. I just, the fact that Windhorse mentioned it and then, yeah, there was of course the Tim McMahon thing that it made me, it, it just makes me uneasy and unsettled. And so I'm, I'm just hoping against it happening because I would like to actually see the, the vibes with this team continue to, to be good. And he inevitably submarines who, whoever he's with. Yeah. To this, go from covering Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson to Kyrie Irving would be a bit of a whiplash. I think <laughs> the worst of reality checks uh, <laughs> guys, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on and giving me so much of your time. Are you able to, Sam, I'll start with you. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you specifically and the podcast and everything for anyone who maybe hasn't checked you out yet? Yeah, sure. So we host this podcast called The Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. It's on the Blue Wire Network. Uh, we are on every app you can think of. I am at S. Cooper Hoops on Twitter. That's probably the best best place to find me. And thank you again, Dan, for coming on. It was fun. Or for inviting us on. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was fun as always. I said for coming on because you will inevitably make an appearance on our show soon that's that'll be my way of spinning that we'll uh, um, we'll have to bring oh, you back that, on that's gonna be exciting mike are you able to tell our listeners where you can they can find you yep uh at protected pick on both twitter and tiktok and yeah the timeline the podcast find it will be covering kevin Durant this season how weird is that uh, yeah look and i can't reiterate not just blowing smoke here the timeline is one of my favorite not just team podcasts but nba podcasts i shout out all the time on hardware knock so if you've not checked it out what the fuck are you doing with your life? Go check out the, the Timeline podcast. Thank you guys so much. And as you know, by now, I will be spamming your DMs again in the not-too-distant future. Hell Thanks, yeah, man. looking forward to it. <laughs>